You guys can turn to Psalm 23. A happy Thanksgiving to you. I hope you had a lot of fun and a lot of turkey and got to watch some football, although that was maybe not quite as fun. But glad you're here with us this morning. It is ironic to me every time we have Thanksgiving here in our nation that we need a holiday to remind us to give thanks. That's kind of a, a little pathetic about human nature, isn't it? We have to have an actual national holiday where everything shuts down for a whole day and we cook a lot of food and gather with our family to remind us that we should give thanks. That's something we should just do every day, every moment of every day, but we have to be reminded to stop and and give thanks. In a lot of ways, we're like a cat, like our little tabby cat, Maggie. Maggie now lives at my in-law's house and she has it great. I mean, she is just so well taken care of. Maggie has fresh food every day, a bowl full of cold water. She has recliners to lay on, couches to lay on. She has wide windowsills where she can just look out and watch the birds play. She's petted. She's combed. She's taken care of very well. I mean, she literally has everything she wants. And yet, Maggie's constant desire every day, every moment of every day is to escape and get outside. That's what Maggie wants above all else is to get outside. And so we have to be careful when we open or close the doors. We have to make sure the kids are watching because Maggie just desperately wants to get out, even though it's like cold and wet and nasty out there right now. And there are bobcats in my in-law's backyard that will eat Maggie. She's not able to care for herself. And yet see, she is so fixated on what she doesn't have outdoors that she doesn't appreciate what she already has in the house. That's how human nature works. That's us. We get so fixated on what we don't have that we forget to give thanks for all of the good things that God has already blessed us with. Because we're just like Maggie. We have it good in life. I mean, most of us, we are, we are living relatively comfortable lives. We're well cared for. We have plenty of food. We have our friends and family. We're, we're watched over. We, we live in a great country. Most of us live a, a really pleasant life. Now, I know that some of you are really suffering. I know that some of you are in pain right now. Life is very difficult. But even if you are suffering right now, you are still blessed by God because you know Jesus, You know his son who has forgiven you and given you eternal life. And you know that no matter how hard this life is, you get to spend all of eternity with him in paradise. And so we are incredibly blessed. But we forget. We forget that all the time because we fixate on the things we don't have. And we forget how good God has already been to us. And so, sadly, we need this holiday. We really need Thanksgiving as a people, as as individuals. We need this moment every year where we stop and remember how blessed we are. So we're going to take advantage of Thanksgiving today. We're going to remind ourselves and remind each other how good God has been to us, how much he's blessed us. And to do that, we're going to use the most famous chapter in the Bible, Psalm 23. It's going to remind us, it's going to show us how good God has been, how faithful God has been. But to really understand Psalm 23 and appreciate what it has to say to us, we're going to have to do some background work. Because unfortunately, it uses some metaphors that we're not very familiar with. It's going to compare our lives and our relationship with with God to a shepherd tending sheep and to a king's banquet. And sad to say, most of us have no experience with either of those. 
I'm guessing that most of you have never shepherded sheep out in the wilderness, and probably none of you have been invited to a king's banquet. If you have, you are really cool, and I want to meet you after service. Most of us have no familiarity with these metaphors. We don't understand them. There's no pictures that come to our minds when we read Psalm 23, and that's why your English translations of Psalm 23, typically they spiritualize it. They make it all about spiritual sounding things and you miss the very literal, very physical images that David had in mind. And so this morning what I'm going to do is I'm going to walk you through my own translation of Psalm 23 line by line and explain to you exactly what David had in mind and show you pictures so you can fill your mind with with accurate images of what God is trying to say to you. Okay, so let's jump right in. Psalm 23, it divides uh, roughly in half. The first four four verses, verses 1 through 4, are uh, using a sheep and shepherd metaphor. That's the picture. The last two verses, verse 5 and 6, are using the, the image of a royal feast, a king's banquet. Okay, so let's, let's jump in. We'll begin with this sheep-shepherd metaphor. So the very first line, it tells us that this is a song of David. Psalms were songs. They, they were what you would worship singing. And David is uniquely qualified to write this song because he was both a shepherd and a king. Early in his life, he was a shepherd out in the wilderness with sheep. Later in his life, he was a king over Israel. So he's qualified to write this psalm. And he begins saying one of those famous lines in the Bible, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Now, the idea of the Lord being shepherd is really common throughout the Old Testament. You'll see it many times. But this, right in front of you, is actually the only place in the entire Old Testament where it's personal, where it's individual, where he's my shepherd. Every single other place in the Old Testament, he's our shepherd. Like the shepherd of a whole nation of people, a, a shepherd over a nation, guiding them, protecting them, disciplining them. But only here is God called my shepherd. It's personal, it's individual. You, a unique individual, God is your shepherd. He is my shepherd. This is one of the most personal passages you'll find anywhere in the Old Testament. It's about my relationship with the Lord and your individual, unique relationship with the Lord. Now, who exactly is the Lord? In the Old Testament, he's simply God. That's, that's what we're told. But in the New Testament, we get a lot more information. In the New Testament, we learn that it's actually the, the second member of the Trinity, Jesus who is our shepherd. We, we hear that from Jesus himself. These are Jesus' words, John 10. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus is our good shepherd. Now, now, who are the sheep that Jesus has in mind? Well, he goes on to tell us in verse 14, I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me. So in the Bible, those who are the sheep of Jesus are those who know Jesus. So those who know that he's the son of God who died for our sins and rose from the dead so that we could have eternal life. In other words, the sheep are believers. Those who've trusted in Jesus, they are his sheep. So what if you have not yet trusted in Jesus? You don't yet believe that Jesus died for your sins and rose from the dead. Well, you're not yet his sheep. To use the biblical metaphor, a person who doesn't believe in Jesus is a sheep without a shepherd. You're still a sheep. You're just not part of his flock. You're wandering through life on your own, vulnerable to every attack of sin and Satan and death. You have no one defending you. The good news is that can change right now. 
You can go from being a a sheep wandering alone to being part of Jesus's flock by simply believing, by simply saying, "I, I trust that Jesus exists, that he loves me, that he died for me, that he rose from the dead. That's how you become part of his flock. It tells us in 1 Peter 2, he, that is Jesus, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed, for you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. That's Jesus. So all you need to do is return to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Believe that he loves you, that he died for your sins so that you could be healed, so that you could be forgiven and have life. The moment you trust in Jesus, he becomes your shepherd now and forever. Now, if there's something holding you back, maybe this is the first time you've heard that. Maybe you just find it too hard to believe in Jesus, that he lived, that he died, that he rose from the dead. I'd love to talk to you. I I would love to chat with you about that. Just come talk to me or, or let's go grab lunch and talk about Jesus. For all of those of us who have trusted in Jesus, he is our shepherd. And I think that's, it's hard for most of us to grasp the significance of saying that Jesus is our shepherd because we don't know what goes into shepherding. Shepherding in the ancient world, it wasn't like a nine to five job. It's not 40 hours a week. Shepherding is what you do all the time, day and night. A shepherd had to actually live with his sheep in the ancient world. So he would actually all day long lead them from pasture to pasture to find good food that hasn't been trampled. He would constantly lead them and protect them from enemies. And then at night, the shepherd didn't go home. He didn't like check out. No, he actually slept with the sheep. He would lay down in front of the gate of the sheepfold to keep anything from coming in. So a shepherd spent so much time with the sheep, like 24 hours a day, seven days a week, that he would get to know them by name. So shepherds in the ancient world could recognize individual sheep from a far distance away. They would have had a name and a call for for every sheep. And those sheep would have spent so much time with the shepherd that they could recognize his voice from a stranger's voice. They knew him intimately. That's what Jesus is talking about in verse 27. He says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. So what, what Jesus wants you to understand when it says that Jesus is your shepherd, what that's saying is that Jesus does not know you in a generic sense. In Jesus' eyes, you're not just some guy or some girl who happens to go to Grace Bible Church in College Station, Texas. He knows you by name. He knows everything about your past, your present, and your future. Jesus actually knows you better than you know yourself. He cares about you more than you care about yourself because that's how shepherds work. And so Jesus knows you intimately. He is with you every hour of every day, never leaves your side. He is constantly caring for your needs. And that's a good thing because sheep have lots of needs. And that leads us to kind of the bad news of the psalm. There's an implication here. If Jesus is my shepherd, then what does that make me? A sheep. And it is never a compliment to call anyone a sheep. Now, sheep are cute. My daughter has a bunch of stuffed sheep in a room she sleeps with, and they give us wool, which, hey, that's nice, especially on a cold day like this. But, but sheep, it's never a compliment to call a, a, a person a sheep because they're really weak and foolish creatures. The more that you study actual sheep, you find they, they do a lot of foolish things. They look cute, but they're so vulnerable. 
I mean, they don't have like fangs or claws. Most of them don't have horns and they're not big like a cow. They cannot defend themselves. So sheep are vulnerable to every predator out there. Lions, bears, wolves, big dogs can take a sheep. Actually, really little things can take a sheep. Sheep can die because of flies. They'll bother the sheep so bad it'll start ramming its head into a tree until it kills itself. So sheep, incredibly vulnerable, completely defenseless. And they're unaware of, of hidden dangers. Sheep are not very intelligent about what's going on around them. So they'll wander away from the shepherd and just go right off the edge of a cliff. And they're prone to herd mentality. One sheep crosses the road, the rest will follow, even if cars are coming. And they can't find their way through life. They can't even find their way out of a bucket. Sheep are incredibly foolish. They're in constant need of the shepherd. A sheep is utterly helpless on its own. And that's what God wants us to understand about ourselves. You see, we like to think that we're competent. Especially the older we get. Here we live in a college town. We get a good education. We have a job. We have kids. We have a house. We pay our bills. We feel competent. We feel like we've got it all together. We feel like we know what we're doing. And God wants us to understand, no, you don't. You are not competent to make it through this life. You are not nearly as strong as you like to pretend that you are. We're so good at pretending that we even fool ourselves, but we don't fool God. He knows. We are never anything more than sheep. We're weak and foolish, and we need Jesus every moment of every day from birth until death. We are sheep. We're weak, vulnerable, foolish. We need a shepherd. That's why it's such good news that we've found a shepherd and that he's good. He's really, really good at his job, which is what David talks about next. The next line in this psalm. Because the Lord is my shepherd, the result, I do not suffer want. Now, I used to read that statement as if it was a command and I felt really guilty about it. So the sheep are not supposed to want anything other than Jesus. I kind of want some other stuff and so I must not love Jesus enough. So I felt really guilty about that. But then I studied it and I realized this is not a command. It's a fact that God just wants us to believe. The point is that the shepherd, Jesus, takes such good care of us, his sheep, that we need never be in want of anything else. There will never be a day when you actually need anything that Jesus does not provide for you. He's already foreseen everything you'll ever need, and he's already providing it proactively. You just have to believe it. You may not feel that way. Sometimes it really feels like you need stuff Jesus hasn't given you, but the fact of the matter is if you don't have it, it's because you really don't need it. Jesus has promised to provide for all of our needs. Now, that isn't a promise of health and wealth, because ultimately in this life, you don't need health or wealth. You don't need those because your better life is coming. That's where you get the health and wealth. It's not now. In this life, what you need is to be protected from sin and from the enemy. You need to be delivered from evil and brought into the kingdom of God in heaven. And Jesus has promised that's going to happen. There's nothing that's going to stop it from happening. Jesus will deliver you into paradise for all eternity. It's an absolute promise, but that is a big promise. No matter what happens in life, no matter what you do, Jesus is going to deliver you into paradise for eternity. That's a big promise, and so David takes the next few verses to prove it. That's what verses 2 through 4 are about. David is proving the goodness and faithfulness of God by comparing him to the best possible shepherd. So let's walk through these lines, see what it's telling us about our God. So it tells us, verse 2, 
He makes it so I can lie down in lush pastures. He makes it so I can lie down. The key word there is lie down. See, it's really hard to get a sheep to lie down. A sheep, if it's going to lie down in the middle of a field, there's a number of things that need to be true. First of all, it has to have had its fill of food and water. If it's hungry or thirsty, it's not going to lie down. It's going to keep eating. They'll eat all the time until they're satiated. So the shepherd had to constantly be looking for fresh pastures that haven't been overgrazed. So the sheep always have a supply of food and water. So the sheep has to be full of food and water. Second, it has to feel completely safe. A nervous sheep will not lie down. They, they will stand up, ready to go. So the shepherd has to be constantly protecting them. Third, they have to be free of pests, like insects. And that meant in the ancient world, in Israel, that shepherds had to leave civilization behind for weeks at a time and take the sheep up into the high hills and meadows where, where there weren't insects. So shepherds had to go to great lengths to make it possible for a sheep to lie down. And that's the point. Jesus is such a good shepherd to you personally, individually, that it is actually possible in this crazy, dangerous, stressful world for you to lie down. That's the point. Because Jesus is your shepherd, you can have actual rest in this life. And I've seen that in my own life and in the lives of of many other believers. I've just seen this incredible peace and calm that's possible in this life for us that the world doesn't know anything about. The world can't find this kind of peace that we can have. Even when we suffer, even when believers are in great pain and trauma and anxiety, I've just seen this sense of transcendent calm come over them. You see it in their eyes. I'm thinking Paul and Silas in jail in Philippi and they're singing. I think of the Perkins and all that they're going through and the incredible peace and love that I see from everything they say and everything that they write, and I'm just overwhelmed. That's supernatural. The world has none of that. What they've discovered is that because Jesus is our shepherd, even when storms surround us, we can lie down at the feet of Jesus. We can find rest. We sang about that. That's the whole point of that song. Jesus is rest to you that the world knows nothing about. He makes it possible for you to lie down in lush pastures. He takes care of all of your needs so that you can find calm in the storms of life. Similar point is made in the next line. David goes on to say, he, that is Jesus, leads me to refreshing waters. Now, sheep are foolish. They will drink from any source of water they can find, including stagnant puddles that the rest of the herd has walked through and gone to the bathroom in. And so sheep will drink water that will kill them. And so what shepherds have to do is, is dig wells and pull up water to provide for the sheep, particularly in arid climates like Israel, right, right here. This is modern day Israel. They still do the same thing. Shepherd has to dig a well and pull up water for every individual sheep. You can't give the sheep surface water because it's polluted. And so in the ancient world, they didn't have power tools. They didn't have drills. The shepherd had to dig the well by hand. And then multiple times every day, the shepherd would be the one to drop the bucket down, get water, bring it up, and water every individual sheep by hand. Because the point that David's making is that Jesus will go to incredible lengths to care for you. Care for you personally, not Grace Bible Church is a big thing, but you. Jesus will spare no expense and no amount of effort to care for your particular needs. He'll do whatever it takes at great personal cost to care for you. That's proven on the cross. 
Jesus gave his own life for you. There's literally nothing he won't do to care for your needs. That's what that line is about. It leads us to the next line. He restores my strength. This one often gets over-spiritualized. I think it's translated, he restores my soul in the NASB. That's too spiritualized. It's just very literal. It's very physical. Sheep are weak. They need a shepherd who tenderly cares for them when they're hurt. And so that's what a good shepherd does. When a sheep breaks its leg, the shepherd picks it up and carries it until the, until the wound, until the break heals. When a, she- when a sheep gets cold and wet, the shepherd would actually give it water or give it wine from his own pouch to warm it up inside. When the sheep fell down, the shepherd would run to it and ride it because sheep can't actually right themselves when they fall onto their backs. Shepherds go to incredible lengths. That's Jesus. That's what he does for you. He goes to incredible lengths to care for you and heal you and and watch over you and protect you when you are in harm's way. There's nothing he won't do for you. Leads us to the next line. He leads me down right paths. This one gets over-spiritualized. as He leads me down paths of righteousness. No, it's just correct paths. Because you see, in the ancient world, shepherds had to move their sheep often, had to move their sheep to find good pasture. This is a picture of where David would have been. It's not very lush, right? So the shepherd had to move the sheep constantly to find some grass to eat. But the more you march the sheep, the leaner they get, and you don't want lean sheep. You want fat sheep. And so good shepherds knew exactly the right path to lead the sheep to good pasture in as efficient a way as possible. So David's point is that that Jesus is so wise, he is so smart that all the time, every minute of every day, he is leading you down exactly the right path through life. You may not know where you're going, but Jesus does. He's leading you down the perfect path to lead you to whatever is next in life. And why does he do that, David tells us, for the sake of his reputation. In the ancient world, shepherd was actually a career position. It was like a professional job. So a town would have some shepherds that would care for everyone's sheep. They would hire the shepherds to watch over their sheep. And the shepherd's reputation was based on the health and safety of his sheep. So if a sheep is lost, that's coming out of the shepherd's paycheck. He needs to care for those sheep to build his business. And so the point is that Jesus has staked his reputation on your spiritual health on you being protected, on you being blessed, on you making it to heaven in one piece. That's dependent not on your worth, but on Jesus's reputation. Jesus staked his reputation as good shepherd on your care and health. And so there's no way he's going to let you fail. He will protect you. He will provide for you because his reputation depends on it. That leads us to the next line. So now David's going to prove to us what a, what a good shepherd, what a wise shepherd he is. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, don't over-spiritualize this, it's very literal. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid of danger because you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And in ancient Israel, it's not like college states, it's not flat. It's up and down, lots of hills, lots of ravines. To get from one pasture to the next, you always had to go through a valley, through a ravine that was densely forested. Ancient Israel actually had really dense forests down in the ravine. So as the shepherd leads his sheep from one beautiful, picturesque mountain pasture to another, he'd have to go through a deep, dark ravine. 
And those trees, all that lush foliage, hid predators. In ancient Israel, there were actual lions and bears during David's time. So about 3,500 years ago, there were wild predators in Israel that would hide in the forest waiting to jump out and take a sheep as it went through the ravine. And yet, despite that reality, David says, I'm not afraid. I, I have nothing to fear because you are with me. Jesus is constantly with you. He never leaves your side. He is with you every moment of every day. So you have nothing to fear. And and your shepherd, not only is he with you all the time, but like a good shepherd, he carries powerful weapons. That's what the rod and and staff are. Here's the the staff. It would be about a six-foot-long pole with a crook at the end. You've seen this. What shepherds carry? The idea of that, that's how he protects the sheep from going off a ravine or getting taken by a predator. He can pull the sheep back to himself. Then he'd also carry a rod, which is a long club, um, sometimes even with nails in the end of it, that the shepherd would beat back predators so that nothing could get close to the sheep. So the point is that Jesus is with you all the time, and he's well-armed. There's nothing that's going to get by Jesus. He's undefeatable. And so you have nothing in this life to fear because the all-powerful shepherd is watching over you every second of every day. He never leaves your side. He never stops watching over you. Sin, Satan, death, they've got nothing on you. They can't defeat Jesus, and he's protecting you personally. Not Grace Bible Church in general, but you at all times, every day. So we have nothing to fear. That's similar to where David's going to go next. In the next verse, he's going to leave behind the the whole sheep and shepherd and field metaphor, and he's going to begin to talk about a royal banquet So in the ancient world, kings liked to throw big parties. And to be invited to a king's feast, a king's banquet, was a huge honor. If you were the guest of the king, that was huge because in the ancient world, when you ate with someone, it wasn't just a meal. You were coming under their protection. That's what it meant in the ancient world to eat at somebody's house. They were saying, you are now mine. I'm protecting you. I'm watching over you. So if it's the king inviting you to eat at his table, then that means you're coming under the protection of the most powerful man in the whole country. So that's what David has in mind. So he tells us, verse 5, you, Jesus, set out a feast in front of me in the sight of my enemies. Okay, so picture this. It's a feast. Nothing scraps about it. It's huge. Huge feast. Set out in front of me in the sight of my enemies. Well, what, what I want you to picture is a huge room. Big room. The king's banquet hall. And there's no electric light. So it's lit by a roaring fire in the center of the room. And the closest table to that fire is the king's table. And so no matter where you are in the rest of the room, you look to the center and you can see the king and the person sitting right next to him. And that's you. You are the honored guest sitting next to the king in front of the fire. Everyone sees you there. Everyone knows that you're with the king. But the further you get from the fire, the further you get from the king, the darker it gets. So you move to the corners of the room or even outside of the room looking in through the windows and it's pitch black. It's total darkness out there. That's where your enemies are. They're cowering in the corner, in the darkness, looking and seeing you next to the king, and they know they can never touch you. So David's point is that that's Jesus. That's what he's done for us. We are sitting next to Jesus in this room, lit by this warm, brilliant fire, as our enemies, sin and Satan and death, cower in the darkness, looking at us with rage, but realizing they can never touch us. They can never harm us because we're next to the king. The sin, Satan, and death, they might hurt you for a moment, but they can't defeat you because Jesus is with you. 
You plus Jesus equals win every time. You will never lose. He's going to protect you. He's going to provide for you. He's going to protect you so you have no enemies to fear in this life. That's what David is getting at. The next line, he says, you refresh my head with oil. Now, that sounds weird. We don't do that. But in the ancient world where there was no deodorant and people got really stinky, the way that you honored a guest is you would pour oil with scent in it, with like spices in it over their head and and rub it in. And that would refresh them and it would make that person pleasant to be around. Because now they don't stink anymore. Well, that's what Jesus does in our lives. He makes us not stink anymore. He makes us pleasant to be around. He transforms us so that people are drawn to us. They're attracted to the, to the joy that we have, the love that we have, the peace that we have. Jesus is working in your life to make you pleasant to be around. That's the point. The next line, my cup overflows. The picture here is that David can never empty his cup before it's refilled. The point is that Jesus blesses you richly. There is no end. There is no limit to the blessings of Jesus in your life. You're never going to run dry of Jesus' blessings. They're always refreshed every moment of every day. Next line, line six. Surely your goodness and your loyal love will chase after me all the days of my life. So Jesus' goodness, that's his kindness to us, that he's working all things for good in our lives. His loyal love, really important word in Hebrew, is faithfulness to you, his commitment to you. But the really interesting word in that verse is chase. The, the Hebrew behind that word, it's almost always a bad word. It describes a predator chasing down his prey to eat it. Okay, or a soldier chasing down someone to kill them. So in this psalm that we've read, this word you would expect to describe the predators hiding in the bushes in verse 4. They're chasing after the sheep, but no. What is it that's chasing after you in life? Only one thing. Jesus' goodness and love. The point that David's making is that Jesus is such a wise, powerful, and good shepherd that the only thing you ever need to fear chasing you down in this life is more goodness and more love. That's all you have to look forward to for all eternity, more goodness and more love. There will never be a moment of a day when you will run out of goodness and love. It's chasing you. What an incredible picture that is. Yeah, you're a sheep and there's something after you and you know what it is? Love. That's all that's on your back. Coming after you every moment of every day, Jesus is just chasing you down, looking for more opportunities to bless you, more opportunities to demonstrate his love to you. That is all that's chasing you down at night. More of Jesus' love and goodness. That's what you will enjoy for the rest of this life and all of the next one. It's the next line. I will live in the house of the Lord all my life. This feast with the king is not for one night. It's for every day. Every moment of every day for the rest of eternity, Jesus will never leave your side. It's a promise that he made in the book of Hebrews chapter 10. Jesus says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Never. So there's nothing that you can do. It's helpful to remember the sheep and shepherd metaphor. It doesn't matter if the sheep wants to walk away. The shepherd's not going to let it happen. That's you. You can't walk away from Jesus' love. There's nothing you could possibly do to separate yourself from Jesus' goodness in your life. He will bless you. He's promised that he's never going to let that change. He's going to bless you every moment of every day from now until the end of eternity, which will never come. Jesus loves you infinitely and is chasing you down with his eternal blessings. So 
once I studied this psalm and, and wrapped my mind around what it was saying in the original context and kind of put these images in my head, got a better sense of, of what David's trying to help me to see about myself and about God, there's really two lessons that I walked away with that I want to leave you with. Two thoughts that this psalm is meant to remind you of. So two things that really you need to remember every day for the rest of your life. Number one, I'm utterly helpless without Jesus. I am not as strong as I like to think that I am. I don't have my life together. I'm a mess. The only reason that there's any good in my life is because of Jesus. That's just a good thing to remember. Anything good in your life, you are not responsible for. You didn't bring anything good in your life. Jesus brought it all. He's the reason for every single good thing that you have experienced. Jesus is the source of of all goodness in our lives, and we are in constant need of him. There is not a day that goes by where we can do life on our own. We're not self-made men and women. We need him every moment of every day to bless us. Literally, we're dependent on his continual blessing for life, for breath, every moment of every day. So I like it when people say, count your blessings. Yes, you should count your blessings, but you need to realize it's like counting the stars. It's never going to end. Every minute of every day, you're going to get a whole new stack of blessings to count. So count, but you're going to be counting for all eternity. We are utterly helpless without God, without Jesus, without his constant care in our lives. The only reason we're still here is because he blesses us. Moment after moment, second after second, his blessing is with you right now. Even if you can't feel it, even if you can't see it, it's here. You just got to take it on faith. So I'm utterly helpless without Jesus. It's only by his constant second-by-second blessing that I'm still here. Second thing, though, that this psalm teaches me is that Jesus' love for me is extravagant. I want to take you back to verse 3. There's that line in verse 3 that is still shocking to me. I spent many quiet times thinking about this line. It tells us, He leads me in the right paths for the sake of his reputation. I understand why a human shepherd does that. I understand why a human shepherd would stake his reputation on the health and safety of his sheep because he needs income. He needs someone to pay him. He needs money. And so he builds a business by staking his reputation as a shepherd on the health and safety of his sheep. That makes sense because he needs money, but God doesn't. God doesn't need an income. God doesn't need anything from us. He doesn't need wool. He doesn't need meat. He doesn't need anything that we could provide as his sheep. Before creation, God the Father, Son, and Spirit were infinitely satisfied and perfectly happy without end. So God didn't create the world because he was lonely or bored. And Jesus, he didn't give you life because he was lonely or bored or needed something to do. And and he didn't die on the cross because he needed anything from you. You do not provide anything that God needs. And so why? Would the creator, who is infinitely satisfied in himself, choose to stake his reputation as God on your health and safety? When you can provide nothing that he needs. There's only one possible reason. Love. Love. It's not because you give him anything. It's because in grace he chose to love you. To love you so much that in the eyes of the watching universe, in the sight of all angels and all demons, God said, I'm going to stake my reputation as God on his health and safety, on her health and safety, on them. God has chosen to adopt you as the proof that he is worthy of being God. 
Why? Because he loves you. He's chosen to love you so much that he's staked his reputation for all eternity on delivering you safely to paradise. And so when you think about your life, when you think about how you're trying to make it through this life, what God wants you to understand is, yeah, you're a sheep, that's bad news. The good news is you've got a great shepherd. A shepherd and a king who loves you so much, so intimately, he knows you by name, he knows everything about you, past, present, and future. He's chosen to love you so much that he will do whatever it takes to care for you. Literally whatever it takes. He's already been to hell and back for you. He's not going to stop now. Jesus, your good shepherd, will do whatever it takes to provide for your every need. So this Thanksgiving holiday, that's what we have to give thanks for, even if life is really awful right now. Even if you're suffering, you're in pain, you're full of fear and anxiety, the good news is you have a Savior, a shepherd, a king who is with you right now. Even if you don't feel it, even if you don't see it, he's there. And he's blessing you, even if there's no evidence to prove that. No, he, he is blessing you, and you will one day see it. When you stand with him in eternity, in perfection, enjoying his blessings forever. Let's give thanks. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have been to hell and back to save us from sin and death and Satan. We now sit beside you at your banquet table in the sight of all of our enemies. All they can do is cower in fear as they look at us next to you because you protect us. We are not strong, but you are. We praise you, Lord Jesus, that you have staked your reputation as shepherd and king on our safety and spiritual health, on on providing for us and delivering us safely to heaven. You have promised that it will happen. We thank you that in love that you've bound yourself to us. We thank you that like a good shepherd, you care for our every need. And we, we're just amazed, Lord Jesus, you would, you would go to the effort to die for us and to do all of this for us every moment of every day when we can give you nothing that you need. There's nothing that we put on the table that, that you would lack without us. Lord Jesus, we have nothing to offer you but in infinite love and, and just unimaginable grace. You have chosen to save us, to watch over us, to protect us, to deliver us, and to be with us at our side every moment of every day. So, Lord Jesus, I pray for any person in this room who's struggling right now to believe that you're right here, that you're with them, that you're in their pain and in their triumphs, that you are blessing them, that you are caring for them, I pray that you would grow their faith. I pray that they would believe, Psalm 23, that you are their shepherd, that they can say to you that you are my shepherd, that you are with me, that you make it possible for me to lie down in green pastures, that you provide me refreshing water, that you restore my soul. I pray, God, that you would help them to believe. Pray that you would give them calm and comfort in the midst of the storms of life so that they could lie down at your feet in peace and calm. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you've chosen to love us. Thank you that you are our shepherd and our king. Thank you that you drive away fear and give us hope. In your name and for your glory we pray. Amen. Well, God bless you guys. Happy Thanksgiving. I'll see you next week.